everybody, this is 2024. This is your friends that never seen it. My name is Trent, and I'm sitting here with Betsy. I'm Betsy. It's a new year, so we're going to start off the year with a brand new series. Betsy, a while ago, we were kind of scrolling through Netflix, and we had the thought, you know, we don't really do any kind of Netflix movies. We cover movies that are on Netflix, but we don't really cover movies that are, like, made by Netflix. And for Netflix. And for Netflix. Uh, the only ones that we have done up until this point are two movies that were nominated for Best Picture. The Power of the Dog being one from, a, from I think, last year or the, or the year before. And The Trial of the Chicago 7, our first episode ever. As well as Don't Look Up. Oh, yeah, and Don't Look Up. That was another Netflix one. But the theme being, we really only watch these Netflix exclusives if they are nominated for Best Picture. But Netflix has a shit ton, for lack of a better phrase, of other movies that are exclusive to the platform that we've just never explored. Yeah, and it kind of got into our head when I was going through and I saw I, I saw one of those like autoplay trailers for a movie that we're actually going to cover next week. I saw that and I thought, you know what, let's just sit down and do a bunch of Netflix movies. Everybody has Netflix, so everybody has access to watch these movies. So we're going to start off with one today that came out last year. Today we're going to cover a movie called White Noise, starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, and it was written and directed by Noah Baumbach. And Noah Baumbach is a guy, apparently, who's been just doing nothing but Netflix movies. Recently, he has been spending a lot of his time writing for this platform. Yeah. And I don't really have much of a history with the guy. I know he did that Marriage Story movie, which was another Netflix movie. And I know he also helped write Barbie last year. Yes, he and Greta Gerwig just got married. They have been together. Oh, married. They have been together as a couple for over a decade. Okay. And they only in the last like two weeks got married. Oh shit. Okay. I'd had no idea. So yeah, they co-wrote Barbie together. But even last year when White Noise got released, everybody was already talking about their partnership on Barbie and oh. how Barbie was coming out and it was this big deal and everybody's talking about Barbie. And this movie just sort of came out and disappeared. There was a very small pocket of time where I heard somebody talking about this movie online and they really, really liked it and I was intrigued. And then it just sort of disappeared. And got overshadowed by Barbie, of course. Yeah, even though Barbie didn't come out for another year. <laughs> right. But this is another one where we just kind of sat down and watched the trailer. We, we just let it kind of play. And I was intrigued because, you know, this is another kind of family movie. It seems like it is set in like the 80s or 90s. It looks like the 80s. Yeah. And there is this, it's a small town thing and there is this like chemical explosion, like a train derails and explodes, which, hey, is kind of prescient to just what happened in 2023. So it's at least very relevant to today, something that happened in Ohio. But it turns into like a big panic and an evacuation yeah. and a world ending event. And it's like a mixed family trying to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. And Noah Baumbach is one of those guys that he does write a lot of stories about families. I have noticed this. The other one that comes to mind is The Squid and the Whale. That was kind of, I think, one of his first big ones that you haven't seen, but it's about a dysfunctional family. Right, and I think we, we saw something with uh, Jeff Daniels talking about that movie, and he really enjoyed d doing it, and maybe we'll watch it one day. But just last year, we did um, another Netflix movie, The Mitchells vs. Machines, which is one that we did mention before, but we really enjoyed that. We like a good dysfunctional family movie, and we've said it a few times, we like movies that depict families as kind of messy. That's, that's interesting to us. 
but I don't really know much else about uh, White Noise. I know it came out last year. I know it's uh, about this uh, this family who gets evacuated and all the things that happen. But do you know anything else? Just what we gleaned from the trailer. Yeah. So this is only going to be our like our second Adam Driver movie. So again, we we have a history with him. We like the guy. He's been choosing a lot of different weird projects lately, so this is going to be one of them. So we're going to go watch White Noise. Join us on Netflix. We'll be right back. Betsy, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but uh, we might have an early favorite for next year's What the Hell Did We Just Watch category. <laughs> uh, so that's my initial reaction. What's yours? I would say I enjoyed 90% of this. It is bizarre. It's truly strange. But also, I was laughing really hard at different parts of it. So I think overall I liked it. But I'm not entirely satisfied enough to say I loved it. No, I, I'm I'm going to say that, yeah, I'm with you. There was a lot of portions of this movie that I laughed at, but I was laughing at it. I wasn't laughing with it. I got the parts that were probably meant to be funny, but as a whole, this movie is an incoherent mess. And it's probably supposed to be like that based on what I've been reading here about this movie being adapted from a book and the fact that it was very very faithful to the book so I guess they were successful in adapting the book but I just don't know how to feel about it other than wow 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 (laughs) (laughs) that's where I am right now yeah it's weird It's a weird, weird movie, and we were looking at the audience score and the critics score, and this is one of those really divisive movies, and I can see why. Yeah, like, the critic score is like 68, which is still not great, but the audience score was like 23. I think the audience score is going to be low because this is such a niche kind of movie. It is. That unless you're like a weird little weirdo like me who likes things like this. And normally I do too. You're gonna hate this movie. I think if I showed this movie to like my dad, he would be like, I'm done. I'm leaving now after about 20 minutes. Yeah, he would have left after act one. If he made it through act one. Right. And I would say he is representative of the general populace. Yeah. But the fact that critics give this a 68 suggests that plenty of them enjoyed this movie. For what it is. And and really all that means is all of the scores that the critics gave were above 50%. That's all that means. There was enough to drive up the average. Yeah. So I can see how even critics are divided about this movie because me being a critic myself... I, it's not like I was confused by what was going on. I got everything. But sitting here now, could I recite to you what the point of the movie is? No, I really can't. He's doing a lot of things. Noah Baumbach is adapting this book, and I'm assuming that 
if it's faithful to the novel, this is all coming from the brain of the novelist. Sure. But Noah Baumbach, also being a little bit of a weirdo, is adapting it in his own lens. There's stuff here about the fear of death. There is stuff about Elvis Presley and Hitler and consumerism and mob mentality, like crowds for the sake of being a crowd. And there's just sort of moments scattered all throughout picking from each of these topics. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of quick editing. There's a lot of dialogue happening simultaneously where there's like three conversations going on at once. And everything is relevant. There's a lot in the background. There's a lot of stuff going on that's in German inexplicably in this town in Ohio. Right. But it does create a cacophony for the census. Yeah, and I think that was done intentionally because, yes, going through life, you kind of have to pay attention to a lot of things. But at the same time, you can ignore a lot of other things. The other thing I kind of pulled out of this is, you know, this movie is set in the early to mid 80s. And technology is what it is at the time like there's no internet there's no twitter there's no there's nothing to really get real-time information other than what you hear from other people and what's on the tv and the radio that's how information is spread i think what i guess the filmmaker is trying to say here because i think the the book itself was also written in the 80s so he wouldn't have known about the internet but i think what the filmmaker is saying is that misinformation and information that is just wrong just comes up naturally. It's an organic thing that just seeps out of people because they want to understand. They want to be the one that is figuring it out. But during the, like you said, the cacophony of this big poisonous cloud, everybody is trying to figure out what's going on. It's all happening at once and nobody knows anything. So what do people do? They panic. They pack up everything and they leave. They talk to their neighbors. They don't talk to their neighbors. And in an environment like that, I can see how people just get a little bit crazy during it, during events like this. There's literally the line in the car where Adam Driver says, family is the cradle of the world's misinformation. Yes. And when they're all at the camp, their son just steps up and starts spouting a bunch of information, whether it is true or not. Like, I don't think he actually knows what the hell he is talking about. No. But he has an audience that is ready to listen and captivated. And there's a few scenes like that throughout this movie where somebody gets up and is giving this speech that is just a bunch of bullshit. Like, it happens repeatedly. It happens at the beginning when Don Cheadle is teaching a class about Elvis and Adam Driver comes in and starts making a counter presentation simultaneously about Adolf Hitler. And the two of them are talking about their respective mothers, Elvis's mother and the relationship she had with her son, Hitler's mother and the relationship they had. And you have these two counter arguments and it's like a intellectual street fight it's because a duel. people are coming in and they applaud at the end right it's so it's weird. dueling lectures about the most weird thing that you could possibly think of and yeah it's all entertainment people are coming in other professors are coming in just to witness what's happening and yeah and of course all of that is because the don Cheadle character wants to win some kind of weird competition against another professor I don't, I don't know. know. I, he, it's like he wants to teach a class 
about Elvis Presley and the cultural relevance and significant and impact of that man. But he can't do it by himself because there's like a grant or something. I didn't quite understand it. I don't but either. he needs Adam Driver's help. He needs a spark. He needs a spark. And apparently them having a lively debate about Elvis and Adolf Hitler is the spark. And there there needs to be this like dramatized thing about Adam Driver being in there and like just kind of teleporting around, around the room. And in one shot, it kind of looks like he is just kind of floating in there. The way he is standing. Yeah. It conceals his legs. Right. He's always wearing a robe when he teaches. And it looks like he is floating through the air as he slowly rises. I just... That scene is probably the the weirdest and best scene, if you want to call it that. But again, all these little vignettes coming together do not coalesce into a movie. Well, there's another thing going on throughout the film. The movie starts with Don Cheadle teaching about crashes, like car crashes. Yeah, the evolution of car crashes in film. And a commentary on, like, tragedy porn and... Oh, yeah. The excitement people feel, especially in the 1980s, when they put stuff like that on TV. And one of the other people who makes a bullshit speech is when they're locked in like a gym during this event, they've been evacuated. And there's yeah. a man with an RCA TV. And he says, are we not tragic enough? Why are we not on TV? Yeah. And he's railing against the fact that their tragic event isn't tragic enough for television. Right. And why once again- this, Why isn't this being broadcast everywhere? Once again, he has- an audience at his disposal yeah. and everybody is just looking at him, watching him talk about nothing and they applaud him at the end. And earlier on in the movie, there's a bunch of professors all sitting at lunch and they're all talking about tragedy porn. They're not calling it that, but that's essentially what they're talking about. It's before the birth of that phrase. Yeah. And they're just kind of opining about, okay, this is why people are gravitating towards this kind of entertainment. Because it is literally entertainment. We just don't know it yet in the 80s. But it's again that mob mentality that people want to be a group. People want to have someone to follow or fawn over or panic over. Something to freak out about. Mm -hmm. Down to even the way the movie ends like there's part one two three and then sort of an epilogue where they have an interpretive dance in the grocery store yep that has nothing to do with anything they're just sort of dancing to lcd sound system because how else do you end this movie but even that is commentary on what else is going on in the movie everybody is just doing the same thing yeah they start the movie with a sea of station wagons and everybody's doing the same thing and the movie ends the same way. So there is structure here. There is just so many themes that he is trying to show us in parts one, two, three and the end of the movie mm -hmm. that it's a little overwhelming. So I feel like we kind of almost need to break it down into the three parts. Yeah, even in the movie, it is it is presented as three different chapters with three different uh, titles to them. The first one being Waves and Radiation, which doesn't make any sense to me why it's named that. Did you get anything? If I'm thinking of anything, I think it's just this is the way of life. It's TV. It's radio. Because during this part of the movie, nothing has happened yet. Yeah. But it's just existence, I guess. And it's all of the things happening at the same yeah, time. Just existing in life. And you get the scene at, at, I think, breakfast 
where all of these like really, really quick cuts are happening and all these children have their own lines. The dad is reacting to what is going on. The mom is also reacting, but she's also doing things kind of in secret. She's taking the pill. But one of the kids sees her do it, and there's so many things happening here, but nothing is happening. And waves and radiation implies those are things that lead to other things. I guess. It's just cause and effect. And right now we're just getting the causes. We're not seeing the effect until later. Yeah, and we also get the setup of, you know, thinking about death. Because at the end of this, mom and the dad are in bed together, and they're just kind of having their pillow talk. And they opine about, oh, I really wish that I would die first or you would die first because, oh, man, I would I would just be lost without you. And they're just kind of competing to be more poetic about how miserable they were they would be. This scene was Shakespearean. Yeah. The way it is written, the dialogue is so like watching a play. It's a, it's poetic. Yeah, they are not talking the way people talk. And that's most of this movie. They're never just having a conversation. No. It's always, I have to talk about how my heart would hurt and it would be so sad and a tragedy and the world would never be the same if you died first and I had to live without you. Right. And like, Betsy and I have had this conversation before. I am absolutely going to die before Betsy. Her family, like, they all live into their fucking 90s. I'll be lucky to get, like, 70, 80. (laughs) You're too angry a man, and your family is riddled with lots of history. I take high blood pressure medication. I would know. (laughs) So this whole first section of the movie, as we're talking about who he is... We find out she's on a medication. He's some kind of college professor. Yeah, and I love the scene of him coming home from college because he's just opining about all of the people coming in in their in their brown station wagons, how they're all lined up for miles and miles, dropping their kids off. And it's, again, very poetic. And the whole sequence ends with the train crash. Yes. So it's a train derailment of toxic chemicals Combined with a drunk truck driver driving like an oil rig or something. Yeah, it's an oil tanker. And this collision creates the next step in the movie, the airborne toxic event. So the first section overall, I liked it. I thought part one was funny and weird, but not completely incoherent. Like I followed it. It's just weird so you have to be into it yeah. to like it and I, I i appreciate the fact that you are allowing this movie to be weird but the through line from a to c is not there i don't know how they get from point a in act one to all the way to the end where adam driver is shooting a guy in a bathroom we'll get to that so the second part is part two <laughs> yeah <laughs> and part two is the airborne toxic event and it is this long sequence of the train has crashed they're watching this plume of smoke and they're debating whether or not it is a plume and right. what we call it and all of this information is like trickling out and then changing and then changing again and then changing back and you're seeing the effects of what they think is happening to the people there. Like one of the girls gets sick because one of the uh, side effects is getting sick. Because it's the power of suggestion. They, yeah. They say, oh, well, you might get sweaty palms and vomiting. Right. And by the time she does that, she's working off of old information. They say, oh, well, now right. it's not sweaty palms and vomiting. It's a sense of deja vu. Right. <laughs> like, which is the completely 
stupid description for what would happen if you are exposed to a toxic event. But then you talk about the power of suggestion. We also get this extra thing. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but we get this extra thing of her on the pill and this other guy on the pill and... She says something to the effect of, if somebody suggests something that is happening, oh, like like a bullet is going, going towards my face, I'm going to dive out of the way. When in reality, they're just words. And the same thing with the guy. Oh, there's a plane falling from the sky. He's going to cower in fear. What is this power of suggestion? Like, what is he trying to say with this? I don't get that. I think it's the fact that people are looking for something to panic over or follow and pursue. It's, it's the whole thing that he gives the speech about. Why did people gather around Adolf Hitler? It was to celebrate the dead and this and this and this. But at the end of it, he says, but first and foremost, above everything else, they became a crowd to be a crowd. It was as simple as that. And it's the same thing. Everybody's panicking. They're looking for a reason. Everybody is looking for answers and solution. And the power of suggestion is part of that. People hear oh, I think I know a guy who has a, a, a cure for that thing over here, right. so let's all go over there. Oh, we're being evacuated. Well, was were they really saying let's be evacuated, or was it more like a tone thing? Like, when the guy with the sirens is driving by saying, there is something going on, leave your homes, yeah, evacuate. Yeah, there is a deadly toxic cloud coming to you. They're all having dinner, and mom and dad are like, his tone when he said it like is it really serious do we really need to leave our homes it's that weird thing of you all need to hear it for yourself in the way you want to hear it and you'll react accordingly or not or not it's just again throughout the movie very openly interpreted yeah how that feels. And maybe this is just a thing about me being kind of a contrarian where I'm, I don't really go along with crowds. I don't really conform to whatever the overarching attitude is about a lot of different things. Maybe that's just why I'm not really getting this. But there's a lot of points throughout the movie where they're demonstrating this too and how it kind of almost doesn't matter what you do because you're gonna end up going with the crowd. There's the sequence at the camp where in the morning the sirens are blaring. They say, leave, you have to leave, you have to leave. We don't know why they have no, to leave. No. They are just all panicking and people being hit by cars and they drop the bunny and he has to go back for it. And he finds a car. There's like a Range Rover and he says... Those people with the bumper sticker about right. guns, they clearly know how to stay alive. And he follows them instead of following what everyone else is doing. Right. And they go for a fucking ride through the woods and then a float down the stream and they still end up with the crowd. Yeah. It did not matter. That entire sequence, it didn't matter what choice they made. They still ended up with the crowd. So there's a lot of yeah, like that, that's a really good point. Predetermined destiny and human nature. Doesn't matter how you get there, you're gonna get there with everybody else. And same the overall commentary about death. It does not matter how you get there, you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're all tentatively scheduled to die. <laughs> or at least one of them is. See, so this whole second sequence is everybody panicking. They don't know what it is. There's this vicious cloud of smoke and purple lightning and rain and everybody's terrifying and everybody is in awe of it but like he has to get out and fill the gas tank and they decide there's this menacing specter of smoke behind him in the sky mm -hmm. you just see the shell oil sign at the gas station as the smoke passes through 
and it's very effective. Like That's there creepy. are some there are some genuinely like creepy haunting kind of moments throughout this. But this time he spends filling the gas tank is enough to expose him, even though no one knows what they're talking about. They have, again, it's the power of suggestion. Clearly you were outside. Clearly you inhaled it. Nothing else matters. You're going to die. But they have no proof of this. No one has tested this. No one knows what's going on. And because he was already at the beginning of the movie susceptible to the idea of his own mortality. Yep. This just further gives him excuses to say, well, yeah, I'm going to die, and here's why. I'm tentatively scheduled for death. I didn't want to tell you, (laughs) but I think it's important that you know. Yeah, and he is lying to his doctor about whether or not he was exposed to it when, you know, there's really nothing in his test results that say, yes, you have an elevated risk of death. And even if he says, yes, I was exposed, what is that going to change? It's not going to change your numbers at all. Even the people at the camp say, oh, we've put your numbers into the computer and you're definitely going to die. But in like 15 to 30 years. Yeah, because he's a middle-aged man. Right. It didn't tell him anything new. I I, I don't know if you got this. I kind of got this this vibe about when he's standing in front of the guy with the computer in in the shelter. The guy says, oh, yeah, the computer says it's not really giving me any numbers. It just gives me these like symbols. It's like a bracket. And inside of the bracket is this red text. And I don't really know what it means, but it probably means you're going to die. Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense, but he just believes it. Right. You're extrapolating this bullshit because you've never actually done any kind of tests on this cloud or what the chemicals are. You're just guessing to have something to say. I imagine the fact that this came out in 22 also has relevancy to the fact it's post-2020, and this is some commentary on people reacting to the pandemic and new information, and you're just looking for someone to yell at, and you're looking for someone to follow. It's what I said before about misinformation. All of this stuff is changing constantly and constantly, but we all are just grasping for any kind of information to take the dread of, of COVID or this cloud in this case. The specter, the, the spe- metaphorical specter. To shove that negative thing out of our brain to try to either excuse it or dismiss it or allow ourselves to just become overwhelmed with dread. Yeah, so overall, this second portion, I kind of loved this one of all of them. Yeah. Because everything got so chaotic, but it was really funny. And the way they were all reacting in this situation, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm really enjoying it. Where the movie gets weird for me is we're not staying in this airborne toxic event. Eventually, they all get to go home and they just cut from they're in a shelter, sheltering in place to nine days later, they get to go home and go back about their lives. They go back to their jobs. They go back to school. But then it turns into Dilar. Greta Gerwig has been taking this mystery pill called Dilar and the whole movie Adam Driver and the oldest daughter have been asking any scientists, medical professionals, doctors, anyone who they can ask. They take the pill to the cartoonish lab with all of the beakers smoking everywhere. The chemist. The the chemist who was also drinking the Yoohoo thing (laughs) with the straw coming out. And they're asking anyone who will listen, what is this? What does it do? And even when he takes it to the chemist, he finally gets his hand on a pill. Yeah. She says, oh, it's brilliant, but doesn't say what it is or what it does. She just says, it's cutting edge. It's like top biology science that's coming out. 
But she just, what does she that mean? Didn't seem to actually do anything. And when Adam Driver confronts his wife, she has to tell her story in her way. In her way. And she has a condition that she doesn't want to divulge. And she says, this is what the pill is. This is how I got it. This is where it came from. But then we see where it actually came from. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because she says that it was a group of scientists doing a very top secret study about a pill that will keep you from being afraid of dying. That's called taking drugs. (laughs) (laughs) And it ended up being she was a finalist and then they decided not to pursue it. But she forced the scientist to let her take it because she was desperate. But she had to convince him by sleeping with him. Right. Which is to say, this was just a scam. In my mind, this is how I'm, I'm interpreting this. There's a bunch of skeezy guys who put an ad in the paper to get a bunch of vulnerable people to come to them to try to give them money, and they give them pills, these magic pills, whatever they happen to be, they could just be pieces of candy like the guy was kind of intimating at. But the point of it was just to scam people out of money, and in this case, sex. It's also the placebo effect, though. Sure. The pills might not do anything, but they keep talking about the power of suggestion. Yes. And if you are being told to take this pill to make you feel better and not afraid of death, then maybe it will make you not afraid of death. And ironically, Trent, by the end of the movie, they are less afraid of death because the two of them are in that space together with this guy and Adam Driver shoots him and then tries to make it look like he shot himself and hands him the gun. And because the guy is not actually dead and wasn't shot in a way to kill him, he shoots Adam Driver, the bullet ricochets off his hand, and it shoots Greta Gerwig. So both of them have like a near-death experience, even though it is like not really serious. (laughs) (laughs) And the three of them load up into a car and go to this magical hospital and by the end, they have a speech with a nun who's telling them about you have to have hope and believe something because if we don't believe, who's going to? And the sun rises and they're just cured. Right. These, so, all these German nuns who apparently do not believe in heaven, but they do because if they didn't, then society would collapse. But what I'm saying is, inadvertently, Dilar Rama, which implies... Everybody around here is on Dylar. It's just kind of a a fancy advertising way of saying it. The two of them are both trying to get this pill. They both have a near-death experience. And then they both discover hope at the same time together. And they're no longer afraid of death. Yeah. And then they're they're just cured. They go home. They have, like, she has a limp and, (laughs) you know. And they move on with their lives and have a dance in the grocery store. You know, as you do. As you do. In Ohio. But the way they kind of give you all of this information in the third act is where I really struggled. Because I was like, this is a really different kind of movie up until this point. Like, I thought we were going to have full-on world-ending, what-do-we-do-to-survive kind of movie. I'm on the journey with them throughout Act 1 and Act 2. You're introducing these characters. Then you have this big event that they have to deal with. But then they deal with it, and then they're left with their anxiety, essentially. You have this specter, this big-ass cloud that everybody's afraid of. It could kill you. It could be nothing. It's pretty damn scary, but really it is the specter of death that is hanging over everybody at all minute of every day. 
When in reality, you could have just ignored it and stayed home and been fine. Instead, everybody panicked and everybody went, all, went along with everybody else. And you probably caused more harm by going along with the crowd than you would have if you just stayed home. So I'm saying he had a plan. Like, Noah Baumbach clearly had a story here. I don't know who wrote this book, but they also had a story if it's adapted. And there are themes throughout. Like, I follow that yeah. we're talking about death this whole movie. Sure. We're talking about crowds and crowd mentality this whole movie. There is a through line from the beginning to the end. It's just the way we get there in the last act where it's kind of jarring after building up this whole thing. And then we just go right back to life. Yeah. And then it turns into this whole jealousy and there are dyers and there are killers and you have to become a killer. <laughs> it's so weird that it just kind of comes out of left field. And then the three of them, when they're at this hospital, they have two gurneys and they put the guy who's been shot twice in a shopping cart, <laughs> which again, I assume is some commentary about commodities and grocery stores and consumerism because it's just so weird. They keep going back to this grocery store too. And like the John Cheadle character, it's very subtle, but he only has white products, which is to say all of the packaging of this, of these products in his cart are all white. There is one lane that is like Repo Man, where it's right. like meat brand meat right. and milk brand milk. And so he has white packaging and it just says potato chips. Or there's a white box and it says cookies. cookies. But the entire store is full of name brands. Sure. And it is overwhelming to the senses. Like it's Ritz and it's Brillo and, you know, all the cereal brands are there. And it's very vibrant and bright and colorful. And the movie is beautiful. Like the way sure. they use an exceptional amount of color throughout, like even just the little thing with the girl wearing a green like visor. Yeah. Like it's such a stupid thing, but they play with like the way the light reflects off of it. And it does look very eighties. It does. Down to like a lot of the fashion, a lot of the architecture, a lot of the, uh, the interior design of a lot of stuff. It looks very eighties. And even some of the shots we were kind of pointing out while we we're watching it, like, Oh damn, there's a really like some interesting shots here. Like really interesting lighting. The way it's framed, the way it's lit, yeah. the colors, they really play with color a lot in this movie. Mm -hmm. So it looks really cool. But the thing in the grocery store is this vibrant, vibrant setting. And then there is one lane of meat brand meat. <laughs> right, just the white. Why? Like that, it doesn't get explained. And that is like a little bit of a glaring inconsistency. And I'm sure there is a meaning. I, We're just not getting I'm it. just struggling to understand what it is. Yeah, and like us sitting here talking about this, yes, I'm getting more out of it. I am I'm starting to understand it a little bit more and like where these through lines are. I'm not treating it as a movie. If I start to think about it as more of a book that is kind of illustrated for me, it makes a little bit more sense. I would really say that this book, whatever it is, whatever the history of this book is, was probably very hard to adapt. Because apparently there were like two other directors who were signed up to do this movie, but for some reason Noah Bamba got it. So maybe there was some kind of stuff in the background where like, hey, I don't really know how to make this movie. I don't know. Maybe. I think he did a good job. I've been kind of split on his movies. I haven't really loved any Noah Baumbach movie. I like his movies. Like Squid and the Whale, I might have to revisit at some point. I watched it once and I thought it was... Not weird like this, but it is weird. 
it's a lot of vignettes and things. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I was kind of like, I don't know if I was into that. But I also watched it like 12 years ago or better. Yeah. And we also, we did watch Marriage Story back when that was nominated for Best Picture. And I enjoyed that at the time it came out and haven't watched it since. But it was a kind of a a weird semi-autobiographical thing of Noah Baumbach because he was also going through a divorce. To a degree. And he, the Adam Driver character in that movie, was like very, very full of himself and thought of himself as a genius. So I don't know what's really going on there. (laughs) But... Well, while you're on that, I will say I really liked Adam Driver in this movie. Yeah. I want him to do more comedy and weird things because as evidence from the times he has been on Saturday Night Live, he is completely game to play a weird little weirdo. Yeah, he is great at all kinds of deadpan humor because he can just keep that straight face. Like on SNL, he does all these really strange things, and I've never seen him, like, crack a smile whatsoever. He is so committed to his character. He treats the comedy as if he's a dramatic actor, which those are always my favorites because they're unflappable. Those guys (laughs) will not crack. I I don't believe there's anything when he is really believing, I am this old man on take your son, take your dad to school day or whatever (laughs) it is. And he's screaming at the class. (laughs) That's a skit he did. And he doesn't break because he is like, I'm really this guy. (laughs) And he does it in this movie where it's so weird these speeches he's giving he does this thing multiple times i mentioned he wears a robe like a graduation type robe yeah i don't really get why all these professors are are wearing that stuff it's like an affectation i have to look scholarly so i'm gonna wear this while i teach but he's also wearing these weird blue sunglasses and he is shown straightening his glasses but he doesn't just lift his hand to his nose and push the bridge of the glasses up he has his sleeve inside of the robe and comes up through the gap in the neck hole and then pushes them up and it is such a choice yeah he does it three times and it's not even like he is like using his hand to just push it up he is using his head to like push down on his hand he's going towards the hand he's going towards his hand. hand instead of the hand going up towards the glasses Yeah, it's a very specific, odd affectation for this character. And it means nothing. It means nothing, but you notice it every time he does it because it's so weird and specific. Yeah. There are other touches throughout this movie that are easy to miss, but so appreciated by me when I caught them. So when they're told to evacuate, they're the last family on the block to actually leave because they sort of debate going and then they're screaming about how they're late. They've yeah. missed They've missed it, Trent. We are late to the party. We are late to the crowd. They back out of the driveway and he knocks over the garbage can in his haste to leave. Which at the time when it was happening in real time, I said to Betsy, man, I would love just a super cut of, from movies of people backing out of their driveway and hitting garbage cans or something to that effect. But then... But the best touch... Every single garbage can on the street has been knocked over, implying every single person on this street did exactly the same thing. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. This movie is riddled with every human is just a human. Everyone is the same. It doesn't matter how original or unique or forward thinking you think you are. You think you are. Yeah, that's the key. You will all end up doing identical human behavior. 
And, it's, and that's really sad. It's, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's doing this multiple times throughout the movie. If you're paying attention, it is shit like that that you notice. In the opening scene, they love when everybody is like moving into campus, they call it station wagon day. He observes yeah. that everybody is driving the same car and everybody behaves the same way. And he didn't tell his wife it was station wagon day and she's disappointed because she's not looking at the station wagons. She wants to see what the parents are wearing. She wants to see what the outfits are. She wants to people watch. She wants to people watch. But they like seeing the shared mentality, the shared behavior. At the end of the movie, when they're having this dance number, there is an identical shot of all of the shopping carts going from the right side of the screen to the left. It is like a replicated shot yeah. in the grocery store. So it's all about conformity and human beings. And yeah, so the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm appreciating that stuff. Would I watch this movie again? I think I would. Because I enjoyed, like I said, 90% of it. And now that I've seen it once and I know what's coming in that last third, I might be able to get more out of it. I think you're right. I I, I kind of have the same attitude about whether or not I would watch it again. And now that I do know kind of where the themes are coming from, and I, then I know really what to look for. And maybe I can get a little bit more out of it. But coming out of it immediately afterwards, like I still had a very confused look on my face as to what the hell I just watched. Oh yeah, Netflix does that thing where at the end of the credits, because yeah. we watched all the way to the end of the credits, oh, yes. it says, do you like this movie? Thumbs up, thumbs down, don't recommend, or whatever the choices are. And no. you're like, you shouldn't ask me that right yeah, now, Don't Netflix. ask me that question right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I didn't like it, I liked it, or I loved it. But really my response is, I don't know. I don't know what my thought was at the time. They should really have like a sideways thumb. Like, eh? Yeah. <laughs> don't tell me yes or no. Sometimes I'm leaning towards yes, but it's not a no. Yeah. You just need to give me a, I need to watch it again, sideways <laughs> thumb mark. Well, either way, Betsy, I, I don't think we're going to be watching this movie again anytime soon. Uh, but before we get out of here, did you have anything else to talk about? No, I think I've pretty much covered the items that were most in the forefront of my mind. As I said, I would probably give this another go. We'll see what time does for us. Hell of a way to start our Netflix series. <laughs> so I think we can probably end it there. So everybody, if you have seen White Noise, if you have any thoughts about Noah Baumbach and his entire weird persona, email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We're going to read a couple of emails here, a little bit of a cleanup from last year. We've been busy with, you know, Christmas and the holidays and our award show and launching a Patreon, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first, we are going to read an email from our super fan, Stephanie, that she sent us, oh, the day before Halloween. <laughs> uh, she wrote us about The Exorcist. She says, this is a classic, but I have only ever seen it once. Even though I am not a super religious person... Demon slash devil movies freak me the fuck out. My husband loves them because they actually kind of scare him too. When you're somebody who watches a lot of horror movies... Which she does. You tend to become a little bit more numb to the experience, I think. Yeah. And for a movie to actually kind of freak you out, that does say something about the quality of the film. Yeah. Uh, she says, that being said, this is not a terribly scary movie. There are some good scenes for sure. The effect they do with the overlapping voices is super creepy. Practical effects are almost always better than CGI. 
Overall, it is pretty good, and you can see where this movie spawned a lot of copycats or just inspired a lot of other movies. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, she said, again, this is very old, so. Uh, our spooky month is coming to a close. So she wrote uh, of four different movies that she was uh, uh, seeing at the time. Uh, Fear Street, Part 2, colon, 1978. Hell House, LLC. Hell House, LLC 2, colon, The Abaddon Hotel. <laughs> That's a long title. And Under Wraps, which I assume is a mummy movie. Because be. why wouldn't it be? Why not? Why not? Uh, all of these were new to us this year. Under Wraps is a fun family movie about a friendly mummy. Hey! You did it! I did it! I've read this email for over a month. <laughs> and she ends, I love you guys and never scream it. Can't wait for Thanksgiving. Again, very old email. <laughs> Thanks again, Stephanie, for writing us about that. Our second email is going to come from our friend in the Great White North. Mitch is emailing us about Apocalypse Now. He says, Howdy, gang. I was inspired to watch this movie because of your podcast. I hadn't seen it, but I had seen The Godfather, so I wanted to give the, quote, at-home version of this podcast a try. Ayo! Yeah. I loved this movie, completely surprised me, and exceeded my expectations. I was supposed to watch this as a part of a lit-to-film class in college, having read Heart of Darkness. But the teacher decided to switch to a less violent movie after the Virginia Tech shootings of 2007. Ooh, yeah, that's a that's a hard shift when you're yeah. in the middle of teaching something. Sometimes you you just need to make a pivot, though. Yeah, and in parentheses, he said, in its place, we watched a Hugh Grant movie. That is a pivot. <laughs> we were left in a much better mood, yes. Uh, the things he liked. Uh, Sheen, Brando, the lighting, the suspense, the circus music. He says, it kept my attention the whole time, a lot like The Godfather, so I'm not surprised. Uh, next, he says, I, I did take part in your online challenge of watching the X-Files scene. Betsy is right. It is totally ripped off from this movie. It cannot be a coincidence. Good catch on your part. Yeah, I mentioned in the episode that there is a scene in an episode called Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man that is very, very identical. Yeah. To something in Apocalypse Now. And I actually was able to kind of put something together and I posted it on our Instagram feed. So if you go back, yeah. you can see them side by side and it, tell me I'm wrong. Oh, you are absolutely correct. And at that time, I had not watched that scene and immediately afterwards we did watch it. And sure enough, you're, you're spot on. Uh, Mitch ends the email saying, I'm glad I got this movie watched. I am looking forward to more inspiration from you two. Happy holidays, Mitch from the North Pole, a.k.a. Saskatoon. Thank you, as always, Mitch. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, if you guys want to play the home game, it's very easy. Listen to our introduction, go watch the movie, and then listen to the rest of our episode. It's a fun way to follow along with something that we are also usually just experiencing for the first time. Indeed. All right, that is where we're going to end the conversation today. Again, guess what, guys? We just launched a Patreon. We have four new shows on our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash neverseenitpod. We also posted an episode last week. It is entitled Special Announcement, where we talk about each individual show and give an explanation of what we're doing. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of variety. So stay tuned because we've got lots planned for that. Yeah. And speaking of staying tuned, make sure to follow us on our social media pages. We'll be posting some like previews and whatnot about the those episodes and our and the main show as well. So again, like always, email us neverseenitpod at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions about the Patreon, whatever, we are an open book. We're always here. 
And it's an exciting time to be joining, so you should definitely tell your friends about us. Indeed, 2024 is going to be a big year for Never Seen It. But that is it for White Noise for now. We're going to continue our Netflix stuff next Sunday. We're going to cover the movie The Half of It, which is a movie that I just kind of stumbled upon. I thought it might be really, really cute, and I wanted to watch it, so we're going to watch it. Kind of the inspiration for this entire thing in the first place. So until then, we'll be back to you next week with another episode of Never Seen It. My name is Trent. My name is Betsy. We'll see you then. Bye!